Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Florida's public school teachers face a tough job. Two years of the COVID-19 pandemic have ratcheted up the stress levels, the workload is increasing and teachers are struggling with pay and conditions in the face of spiking inflation and housing costs. Add to that a flurry of controversial legislation this year that's put teachers on the front lines of culture war issues. All this month, WUSF has been featuring the voices of teachers in the Tampa Bay region as they describe the challenges they face in their own words and explain what it is that keeps them in the profession. Later in the show, we'll talk with the reporters behind the Teacher Voices series, Kerry Sheridan and Bailey Lefevre. First, though, we'll hear from a few of the teachers themselves. In Florida, there's been a lot of legislative action lately to increase the role of parents in the way children are educated in public schools. Some parent groups have pressed for the banning of certain books, while others support the Parental Rights in Education law passed this year, which prohibits discussion of gender identity and sexuality in kindergarten through third grade. WUSF asked local teachers whether or not these new laws help them in the classroom. Several teachers said they would like more authentic parental involvement and support. The first voice you'll hear is Ashley Highfill, who teaches middle school social studies in Hillsborough County. You certainly still have some parents who are super, super supportive um, and want to do whatever they can to support the teacher. But sometimes you can't even get in touch with parents, and it's usually the students who are having trouble across the board with multiple teachers. Phone numbers aren't always correct or emails, and if you do get in touch with them, they turn the blame onto you instead of trying to figure out a solution for the student. Um, So that's become more prominent as the years have gone on where it used to be more occasional. My name is Melissa Hall, and I teach high school social studies, and I'm in Hillsborough County Schools. So like one of the ones we've had conversations about is the idea of parental control of education and the idea of parents knowing what is being taught in classrooms. Sounds great, except here's the thing. Everything that we teach is public. Every standard is public. If a parent wants to know what's being taught in my classroom, they are allowed to literally call the school and say, I want to show up on Tuesday. Can I have a seat? We have to give it to them. We have digital grading systems. They can check grades whenever they want to. They can send us messages whenever they want to. So I'm not sure what the bill is designed to do. There's, there's nothing that's being done secretly that if parents ask or seek to find, they can find out. Here's what the easiest solution, okay? And it's not a lawmaker's solution. If parents have questions about what's going on, get involved. We have PTSAs, we have PTAs, we have other types of parent councils that make decisions in schools and we beg for people. Okay, and I'll give you a good example. I had parent conference night last week. So for two and a half hours, I sat in my room available for conferences. I had two people show up. My name is Steve Conover. I teach algebra at a public charter school in Hillsborough County getting parent support as opposed to we're being the villains now. It seems like when I'm dealing with a parent, it's a very defensive maneuver. My child would not do this. 
you know, they, they, they talked about having video cameras in the classroom. My opinion about video cameras in the classroom is bring it on. I have nothing I do or say that is going to be problematic. And you're going to see exactly what your child is doing. So when you say my child would not, how are you going to defend that now? And especially if it's the child that has to be disciplined, no parent wants to hear that their kid made a mistake, but that honestly is a learning environment. Learn from it and don't do it again or find out why you reacted that way. I think that's a good thing for the student and for the parent to realize too. One of the big things about my school that we tell at the beginning of the year is that it's a three-legged stool. That's education. You have the teacher, the child, and the parent. Those are your three legs. If any one of them is missing, the thing's going to fall over. Teachers Steve Conover, Melissa Hall, and Ashley Highfill. Next, we'll hear what teachers think about legislation that changes the discussion of race in schools. The Individual Freedom Law, also known as the Stop Woke Act, limits the way race-related issues can be instructed in schools and workplace training. It's part of an array of laws targeting education that were recently passed by lawmakers. Here's what some teachers in the Tampa Bay region told WUSF about the law and legislators targeting critical race theory. Again, we start with middle school social studies teacher Ashley Highfill. I teach social studies. Racial tensions are part of American history. I don't understand. I really can't wrap my head around it because critical race theory is not something that is taught in, in schools, but the way that they seem to be wording it, the narrative they're, they're presenting is that critical race theory is being taught in schools, but what it actually is is the racial tensions and struggles in our American history that are painfully obvious and have been a part of state curriculum for even when I was in school and before, and diversity, it seems like they're spinning the use of diverse things as critical race theory, which is very much what it is not. So um, a lot of that really confuses me. I don't understand what the intention is. I mean, racial tensions are still a problem today. I don't know how anyone could disagree with that. My name is Aline Logus. I teach 11th and 12th grade and also freshman at Robinson High School in Hillsborough County. I don't think they're focusing on what matters to teachers. If I'm being honest, it feels like they're pandering to a particular group of people. And I don't think that they have teachers or students' best interests at heart. I think they have their best interests at heart. The implicit issue here is that we have to censor how we talk about certain things that up till now in my life, I've thought were objectively bad things, like slavery. Should we be talking about slavery in a way that is objective, that doesn't condemn it? That's what it seems like to me. If we're stopping woke, that implies to me that we can't talk about race relations as they are. Like we can't talk about them as a negative thing for there to be racism, as a negative for, for slavery to have been a negative thing that white people did like it seems like we're trying to change how we teach history in a way that isn't true to what happened from my perspective as a teacher it makes me stop and say what am i teaching now that could get me in trouble later my name is steve conover i teach algebra at a public charter school in hillsborough county a lot of this stuff is they're doing it for talking points in my opinion I, I don't like doublespeak and, and the fact that they're trying to 
say that well, these math books are banned because they're teaching critical race theory. Show me a math book that had that because there was no actual, this is the book that was the problem. So it's like they threw the phrase out there to appeal to a population demographic without actually having proof of that. That's where I'm standing right now on that issue. Um, because math, math textbooks is like, I thought we were the safe department. We don't talk about any of the stuff happening in the world. We're numbers. Those were teachers Steve Conover, Aline Logos, and Ashley Highfill. You're listening to Florida Matters. Coming up, we'll hear from reporters Kerry Sheridan and Bailey Lefevre about the challenges facing teachers. The conversation continues in just a moment. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about the challenges facing Florida teachers. All this month, we've been hearing from teachers in their own words about the impact of new legislation targeting education, how they're dealing with workload, pay and conditions, and morale. Now let's hear from the reporters who spoke with the teachers for this series. Kerry Sheridan covers health and K-12 education and hosts All Things Considered. And Bailey Lefevre is a reporter focusing on education and health in the Tampa Bay region. So I want to start by asking how the idea for this series came about. Kerry, how did this idea, where did this idea come from? Well, you know, Bailey and I have both been covering education and there have been a lot of new laws passed in Florida, you know, in the past legislative session and and even last year, and a lot of focus on education and things were changing in the classrooms. And what we really wanted to find out was how this was affecting teachers. From time to time, we'll interview teachers or students or you know, people involved with the schools, but we thought, what if we gave them a chance to really weigh in on what these their current challenges really are in the classroom and whether these new laws are going to help them or hurt them and what they're trying to do. So we do some audience engagement. We often do call-outs on WUSF where we ask our listeners, do you have something to say about this particular issue? Well, let us know. Um, fill out a Google form on our website and let us know if we can contact you for a story. So that's what we did. And you got some really engaged, passionate teachers um, to weigh in, right? I mean, that was one thing that really struck me about the series is the people you talked to were all like very, very involved, very kind of interested in expressing their thoughts on it and had a lot to say about the, the questions you asked them. Absolutely. I mean, people, teachers really wanted to talk. They wanted to say what was on their mind. And Bailey and I had conversations early in the process about, well, maybe we'll have to promise them anonymity or, you know, maybe they won't want to talk. But uh, that was not our experience, was it? No, we really heard from a lot of veteran teachers, especially, that had well-formed and well-thought-out opinions that they had no real hesitance in sharing. Kerry, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, that's the bill that's been labelled by critics as the Don't Say Gay Bill, was protested by LGBTQ plus advocates and even triggered more controversial legislation aimed at Disney. What do teachers think about this one? You know, the teachers that I spoke with about this felt that, um, you know, some said they really felt that it was targeted for a political agenda, uh, that really whoever wrote this bill is not having the conversations in the classroom with the students one-on-one that they're having. Um, one of the teachers I spoke to uh, was talking about how just just today or just the other day, a student came to her with different pronouns, and she didn't know what she was going to do with that. Now, did she have to go to her administration and ask what's the procedure? You know, it caused a lot of questions in their mind about how do we handle this. And another teacher felt that that whole 
feeling of confusion and vagueness is very wrong because it can communicate to a child who's vulnerable at a vulnerable time that something is wrong with them. And these teachers really feel that their one-on-one relationships with the students could be jeopardized by this law because it takes away some of the confidentiality that students sometimes go to a teacher. They want to tell their teacher something that they can't share at home. And I think one of the expressions we heard from one teacher was this notion that these bills are sort of looking for a problem that doesn't really exist. Was that kind of a common theme amongst the teachers you talked to about the impact of some of these bills? Oh, absolutely. It was, And that was sort of the feeling that we had going into this series. Might, might people want to talk about that idea that the laws that are being passed are not really laws that are aimed to fix actual problems. You know, some teachers said maybe it could be a problem in the future, but it's not currently. I think that was Oren Shahar said that. The idea that what they're currently looking at is not being fixed by these laws, it's actually making things worse. Was there anything surprising or that you weren't expecting that came out of your conversations with teachers about the most hot button issues or these bills that have generated the most controversy in the most recent legislative session? I was surprised by the fact that the teachers were so willing to say the political aspect of it was troubling to them. You know, people might be concerned for their jobs or their livelihoods, but, you know, they they were pretty open about the fact that these laws are not for them. Bailey, aside from issues like critical race theory, gender identity and race, um, teachers are also wrestling with some basic practical challenge, and one of those is pay. Florida pays its beginning teachers relatively well compared to other states, but veteran teachers, and, and you talk to a lot of them, uh, don't make a whole lot more. Tracy Overdorf, uh, who's a middle, middle school STEM teacher, for example, talked about balancing the rewards of day-to-day teaching and interacting with the students and then looking at what she's being paid after 25 years. So just... Talk a little more about that if you could. As you said, teachers just now entering entering the profession are making a better starting wage than they were a few years ago. But for teachers like Tracy, who have been in the industry for, she's been in the industry for 25 years, their wage hasn't risen. So she's still putting in um, just as much work as these other teachers. She's performing at a very high caliber as an experienced teacher. She still loves her job, but She's not seeing the reaped benefits of a higher salary that someone in another profession would be. And some of the teachers that I spoke with felt that the stagnant wages were frustrating. And that must be sort of biting more now with uh, inflation the way it is, I suppose. A lot of the teachers that I spoke with, yeah, they're dealing with the same issues that every other young teacher is dealing with, the inflation, trying to buy a car and things in this economy that have just become so astronomically unaffordable and they're not getting any increases to help pay for that. You know, they have other expenses as well. Kerry, teachers also talked about workload. Uh, What are some of the reasons they gave you for their workload going up? Well, it it does go back to the laws in some ways. Um, One teacher explained to me that it's almost like the documentation of work um, that has grown. So whereas before a teacher would spend a lot of time with students one-on-one or focusing on the students themselves, now they have to spend an increasing amount of time on the um, documentation that goes along with it. So if you have a student who has Um, certain learning difficulties or has a certain plan attached to their education, you know, plan, 
the teacher has to document how they made accommodations for that student, and it has to happen for each student. So the more students that come to school with these different accommodations that need to be made for them, the more work that creates for teachers. And not that they don't want to do it, it's just that the more work you put on them, the more time it takes to do it. So then they end up having to work at home. Teachers have probably always taken work home, but that's an increasing problem. I just just read a survey the other day that found the average teacher nationwide works 54 hours a week. So they'll work, you know, maybe 40 of that in school and the other 14 at home. One teacher too, Steve Conover, talked about administration and you know the paperwork as you, as you brought up. Is that something that the teachers you talk to kind of is that a reason they might consider quitting teaching or or not even going into it in the first place if they're kind of considering the profession? Well, every teacher that I spoke to has been a teacher for at least ten years. So these are teachers who are very invested in the job and the profession, and they see it as a calling. You know, it's not something that they want to go and change all of a sudden. But when I ask them, what is it? What what would you change? Or what's wrong? Just broad, just broad questions about their jobs and what's going right and what's going wrong. A lot of them, it took a little while to kind of winnow down what it was. Um, I had one teacher talk about how it's it's hard to put your finger on it. She's like, I know what it's not. It's not the students. You know, the, everyone loves the students. You know, it's not the job of teaching. They love to teach. It's sort of the accumulation of a lot of small things over time that when you put them one more thing and one more thing, it becomes hard to have hope that the future is going to be better. And it was Melissa Hall that said this, you know, it's really important to have that because otherwise it seems like every year is just going to be harder. And it's not that the teachers couldn't take it. They knew that their job was going to be hard. They didn't want to be seen as complaining. They didn't want to be portrayed as wanting to get rich. Of course, they knew that teaching isn't a job that makes you a lot of money. But they wanted to be able to be, you know, be appreciated, uh, be rewarded for what they do, and, you know, to be able to do a quality job with the students. And I think that that's sort of the issue, that they feel like this increasing workload and the decreasing pay or the lack of pay raises after a certain point, it's its not encouraging. It's not telling teachers, we value you. So um, Bailey connected to workload, class size is increasing to up to 38 students in a class. And one of the teachers you talked to said some has, have as many as 40 students in a class. So what does that mean for the teachers and for the students as well? Well, class size means more than just how many kids you're instructing in each period, it's it directly translates to how much work you have outside of the classroom as well with grading, making accommodations for certain students, interacting with parents, and whatever teachers can't fit into their planning period or in work that they do before school, they have to take home. So they're juggling doing all of that additional work with raising a family, working on their second job, picking up other responsibilities. So as this work piles up, it's keeping teachers up late into the night and, you know, they're not paid for the work that they bring home. And now one of the teachers too, uh, Aline, who teaches 11th, 12th and freshman um, classes in Hillsborough, she talked about the impact of COVID on the workload. Was that something that came up with other teachers in conversation too, the impact of COVID? Multiple teachers said that the pandemic greatly increased the workload at, at the start of the pandemic teachers were having to completely develop online curriculum and learn how to teach students online. And then that shifted to teaching both students in person and online, which teachers said is very difficult. 
And as well as behaviour, there's also mental health, which was something that came up in conversation. What did they say about that, the impact of COVID on the mental health of the kids? Some of the teachers that I spoke with said that kids are coming back more awkward and that they're not interacting with each other like they used to. A couple of the teachers that I spoke with said, you know, the students were looking into screens and not having recess and things like that. So they're figuring out how to interact with each other again. And multiple teachers I spoke with said that the behavior has changed a lot. Some students are coming back more unmotivated. But I did hear from at least one teacher that they think that things are changing and they're seeing students start to try and realize that their grades do matter in the long run. Carrie, Mandy Jensen, who's an alternative school teacher, described a job as being, quote, on the front lines of the battle for the souls and minds of our children. And she talked about all the kinds of support that teachers have to provide outside of the classroom for the kids. And her situation is a bit different from the other teachers because of the school she's at. But do you kind of get the sense in general that teachers are being called on to do a lot more than just classroom instruction? Oh, definitely. I mean, she wears so many hats and teaches so many different things and has to be aware of where these kids are mentally themselves it could be very different from day to day. Um, she talked about realizing that one of her students in foster care was sleeping on the floor in the Eckerd offices. And I told her, my goodness, we've we've covered that story, you know. And she had one of those children in her classroom. So she said, yeah, you know, sometimes they come in, if they're in foster care, sometimes they're on a night-to-night basis, which means they don't know where they're going to be going home to sleep that night. So can you imagine trying to teach kids like that? I mean, she really wants to teach them well and keep their attention and do the best job she can. And they're encountering huge, huge struggles in their lives. So it's really interesting to hear her perspective. And and her energy is so high. And, you know, she's really, really invested in it. Of the teachers you talked to, Bailey, what was it that attracted them? Or what what was it that was keeping them in the job? All the teachers that I spoke with stay because of the students. They chose their jobs, their professions, because they love interacting with students. They love how interesting and funny they are. They love the relationships that they build with them. They stay because of the students. And I think that all the teachers I spoke with said that they plan on staying. But the tipping points for them are the pay and the workload and the things that surround what they love about the job. And Kerry, what about the teachers you talk to? What What is it uh, that they said about wanting to remain a teacher despite all of the challenges they're facing? Yeah, I spoke to a couple, the the ones in math and science stick out because they have skills that they know are very marketable and in demand and could get paid more in the private sector doing something else. But they're hesitant because they, they're teachers. <laughs> They've spent their whole lives, 25 years of their life, you know, teaching. And it's difficult to make that kind of jump, I think, when you're in your mid to late 40s, have invested that amount of time in a career to jump into a completely different world outside school. So they weren't too keen on it, but they were talking about it with spouses. You know, what should we do? Should we jump ship? And that's that's sad to me to, to know that some of these older teachers who are really there for the love of the kids and have been for a long time are feeling so unvalued that they are considering leaving. Well, Kerry Sheridan is a co-host of All Things Considered for WUSF. She covers health and education. Kerry, thanks so much. Thanks.
And Bailey Lefevre is a reporter covering education. Bailey, thank you as well. Thanks. Finally, here's what some teachers told WUSF about the rising workload and a crisis in morale. My name is Melissa Hall, and I teach high school social studies, and I'm in Hillsborough County Schools. We've probably had seven or eight teachers leave mid-year. A lot of schools are having that same problem. Some of our classes are incredibly large. So, for example, it's not uncommon for me to have a class of 34 students, and I have the smaller classes in many cases. I have colleagues who have 36, 37, 38. We have a lot of very devoted educators who are suffering from a morale crisis. And I would argue that 90% of it it has nothing to do with what happens in our classrooms. A lot of people say, well, oh, it's because teachers don't make enough money. Guess what? We've never made enough money. I mean, that's not news. Nobody really goes into teaching going, you know what? I think I'm going to be rich doing this. And I would argue that the majority of us realize that we could take other jobs that would pay more money. So I don't think we can put it as just teacher pay. Okay. I don't think we can put it as just larger class sizes. But I think at the same time, it's when you add up all these small things where it's like you're being asked to do more with less every single time. It seems like every year we're pretty much promised that next year is going to be harder. And then this domino effect starts. So somebody says, enough is enough, I'm leaving. And then the next one says, well, you know what? If Miss Smith's leaving, well, I bet you I could probably leave too. My name is Steve Conover. I teach algebra at a public charter school in Hillsborough County. So it just seems like everything is speeding up, um, getting faster and faster, more immediate responses not just to classroom material with students, but also with administration and with what the state's requiring us to do. It just seems to get a larger and larger amount of things. And really, we can't spend the time decently on any of them. So the laws that are being passed, both federally and state level, that my school has to you know, honor and obey with, they're getting more detail-oriented. And sometimes it was more of a, look, I'm going to put the kid first. Now I have to go and tell you what day and what I did, as opposed to a generalized statement. It's the documentation of work. For us to teach and to do all of our things here, I, I cannot get it done in my, in my, I hate to say contracted hours, but it's very hard for me not to take things home and do work at home. And then my own family and my own mental health is going to pay for that. My name is Aline Logus. I teach 11th and 12th grade and also freshman at Robinson High School in Hillsborough County. Like almost every teacher I know takes work home. They stay up late grading. My husband teaches at another school in the district and he stays up late grading. He stays up late planning. It impacts our personal lives and we're paid hourly. So we're only paid for the hours that we're at school. So anything we do beyond the school day, we're basically doing on our own dime. And I take a lot of issue with that. That's one of the main reasons I've considered leaving the profession in the past. Um, And like I said, during COVID, it was like, oh my God, teachers are amazing. And then once it was time to get back into the classroom, people were pushing for teachers to get back in the classroom when the COVID rates were still high, which ended up being okay. But it felt like we weren't as valued, that our lives didn't even matter at that point. So it just, it kind of hurts that people don't 
seem to value us that much. Teachers Aline Logos, Steve Conover and Melissa Hall. You can hear more voices from the series on our website, wusf.org. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening. <laughs>